I'd like you all to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 5. The topic of our discussion this morning is uh, courage. Uh, how to become courageous Christians. And I believe that, that the thrust of this passage of Scripture is very clearly to encourage bold, confident talk about the life and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I think in verse 20 it's captured when the angels release the men from prison. They say to them, go stand, tell the full message of this new life. And what we learned already from this circumstance is that the disciples were facing serious consequences for talking about the name of Christ. I think we have to ask ourselves this question. Why is it that the church, those that have trusted Christ, why are we at times so reluctant to talk about the new life that Jesus Christ has given us? Why is it that for many of us, we have to think back quite a ways down the road of life to find the last time that we explained the full message of this new life. I think sometimes we have to sit back and say, okay, what's up with that? I say I'm a Christian. I, I say that I strive to walk in obedience to Christ. But here's an area that for many of us, we have to be honest and say, I definitely not batting a thousand, not batting 500, not swinging. Why? Why? I think the simple answer to the question is this. Fear of man. Fear of man. I think there are two cultural reasons that help us to understand why we don't, and I think there's one personal reason. Why we are so silent about the greatest story ever told. One, I think, is this. We know that when sinners are confronted with their sinfulness, they don't say, why, thank you. And quite frankly, we want people to like us. Many people say, I don't care what people think. Well, the fact that you're telling me means that you want me to know that because you do care. We do care, much more than most of us even know or realize. We, uh, we live in a culture that is naturally anti-authority. Okay, so when you start to talk about the authority, Jesus Christ and his law and his call, what happens? You, you have a culture that bristles against that, that, that reacts. They, they don't welcome the message of the good news. Because this aspect of it that, that talks about Jesus as the ultimate authority, the ultimate truth, when that confronts people, it, it, it causes people to struggle, to bristle. So when sinners are confronted, they react negatively. We don't want to deal with people reacting negatively, so what do we do? We stuff it. I think another reason why we are so quiet is this. Our culture is increasingly, and I could use a number of words here, but if I use the word relativistic or pluralistic, Okay, everybody has their own truth. Everybody has their way to God. And it would be, some would say, insensitive. And at times you will find words like arrogant describing people who believe that they should share their faith in Christ with those around them. And the honest truth is this. If you share your faith in Christ, that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way, he's the only hope for humanity, there are people that will quickly lump you into a category that you don't want to be in. And it's this category. It's the idea of being fundamentalists. Okay? Being so overly committed that people are actually afraid of you. Okay? They're, they're suspicious about what you would do if you had enough power to do it. 
Okay, now we know from a biblical perspective that, that biblical Christians all are going to believe, okay, that true conversion does not take place by force. It takes place by a work of the power of the Spirit of God in someone's heart. So a biblical Christian would never force. But we know this also. Historically, there have been groups that are Christian, and I would put a small C on the front of it, that have used pressure to get people to convert, to get them to say that they believe in Christ or say that they believe in Muhammad, whatever. And there's just pressure has been exerted. So if you're in the category of people that believe that there is a way to heaven and that way is Jesus Christ, there are people that are fundamentally suspicious of you and believe you to be insensitive and arrogant. There are people in many cases that see you just like the Taliban. That if you could, you probably would. And because of some of the rhetoric that is present in our culture politically, I understand the fear. I understand that there are enough aberrant groups out there that call themselves Christians that give a bad name to biblical Christianity. That bad name brings pressure on those that truly believe that the message of Christ must be believed as an act of faith on an individual's part, voluntarily, not coerced. All right, we end up, we end up sensitive because what do we not want to do? We don't want to look like that. Okay, and so do we, what do we end up doing? We end up walking, if I can say it this strongly, we end up walking in disobedience to the Great Commission. Why? We are afraid. And I think the last reason is this. And this one I think is personal. First two, cultural. It's just part of the world that we live in. We want people to like, respect, appreciate, and applaud us. That's what we in our flesh really want. Speaking the name of Christ, the gospel that the Bible says to man is foolishness, is not a way to get people's approval and applause. So what do we do? We downgrade Christian mission, and we call things that aren't evangelism, evangelism. Okay? Acts of kindness are not evangelism. Are they, are they the, the uh, if you will, the appetizer to sharing Jesus? The answer is absolutely, and I believe the Bible mandates that we be people who act in love. But we are also to be people who speak the truth of the name of Christ to those around us. We have a mission from God, and it's called a co-mission. That is, we are cooperating with God in this sharing of the good news of Christ. So the good should be done, but the gospel, the good news, should also be shared. Okay, and sometimes we get to wrestle with this. Okay, which one of these pressures is causing my lips to be sealed and unwilling to speak the name of Christ? with people that so desperately need to hear it. So as we come into this text, verses 12 through uh, verse 16, I think very clearly lay out for us, if you will, a picture of the phenomenal power and blessing of God that is settling on the early church, so much so that they are, in the context of their environment, rising in esteem. Why? So many wonderful things are being done there. The way that they relate to each other and love each other is captivating to a watching world. And here's what you would think. You would think if people that loving and that committed to selfless, sacrificial service talked about Christ, then it would be welcome. Right? And we tend to think in our own life, if I'm doing everything that God wants me to do, if I'm living the life that He wants me to live, loving people and serving and giving and all those kinds of things, what do I tend to expect? I tend to expect smooth road tend to expect that things in my life are going to be going fine. And yet, as you read this story, you realize that that is not necessarily 
true. Verse 17, it says that the high priest and all his associates, after understanding the events of the preceding verses going all the way back to the beginning of chapter, or the end of chapter 2, you would think there would be joy, there would be happiness. People, their lives are being changed. Decade-old burdens and struggles and wrestlings. Their people are being delivered. That should be fundamentally good news. Should be a deep encouragement. But it's not what happens. It says they were filled with jealousy. Why? Why were the religious leaders that were so used to posturing for approval, okay, living in such a way that everybody would look at them, their family, and say, oh, good people. Why were they so upset and so angered to the point that they would take these men, take away their freedom, and put them in a place that was intended to humiliate them and ultimately silence them? Why? Well, they were used to being the people in charge. They were used to being the religious leaders. The disciples, under the power of God in verses 12 and following, were doing things that they couldn't what? They couldn't do it. The favor of God was clearly beginning to rest on the early church. God was beginning to work in very, very powerful ways. And so what do they do? They put them in prison with the aim of discrediting them, intimidating them, and humiliating them so that they will go silent. If you talk to any of your young people about what happens to them when they speak up for their faith in the context of a secular university, you will know that this is not very far from the experience of many people. If you've shared your, Christ, your faith in Christ, the whole gospel, you've had people say some pretty strong things to you. You know what? Why don't I share my faith as often as I should? Because I don't want people to say those things to me. And so we tend to go silent. I believe this text is written to give us a, an accurate record of the progress of the early church. And I believe its aim, its aim is to encourage courageous Christian living. Its aim is to encourage us to want, talk about Christ. Bring the good news into the conversation of life. Enter into gospel conversations with people. And what does it do? It shows us what happens as a result of doing that. It shows us the intervention of God, and it shows us the outcome that the disciples of Christ, who are filled with the power of the Spirit, are more bold to speak the good news after such a series of events. So let's ask this question this morning. How does this text prompt courageous Christian living and witness? It's a hard story. These men are going to suffer. People are going to get angry. Why is it there? I believe it's aim. It's so that you and I would leave here today saying, you know what, I am not going to be quiet anymore about the thing that matters most. And for me to look in the mirror and say, what are you thinking? What, what? So I challenge you, when's the last time? The whole story, I'm not just, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the whole story, which is we will find at the center of this text, the directive of God to his people. And I think it happens in three ways as you move through this text. First of all, there's a reminder, then there's an encouragement, and then there's an example. Let's look at these three ways that God prompts and encourages courageous Christian living through this story. First of all, a reminder. And this is the hard part, and I think this is the most simple biblical explanation for why we're quiet. Adversity often 
arises in seasons of obedience and blessing. Okay, when you start to go active concerning your faith in Christ and you start to walk in obedience, what is your expectation? Your expectation is that God is going to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings that are unspeakable and uncontainable. And everything's going to start going good because you said yes to God. And that's not the way it is. And we find that troubling. We, find, we want to go to God and say, God, I, I, what do you say? say I am, I, is there anything wrong in my life? I'm trying to do what you've asked me to do, and I'm experiencing pressure. I'm experiencing adversity. Okay, by way of comfort, look at the life of Christ. He lived a perfect, selfless, loving life. And what did he experience? Something you and I try to avoid. Adversity, rejection. It was normative in his life. Jesus said, do not be surprised. If you face adversity, he says, if they rejected me, why would you think that they would accept you? Okay? So the, the, the reminder of the text is, as these disciples step out in extraordinary blessing, in an, or in, in extraordinary obedience, in an extraordinary season of blessing, you would expect things would go great. But as, as Roger read through verse 13 in the middle of that first paragraph, you, you should have picked up on attention. It says, no one else dared join them. Who's the no one else that's unwilling to join them in the public setting of the colonnade, in the temple complex, where they were forbidden to speak in the name, but what do they do? The response in Acts 4 was this, we have to obey God. And if there are consequences to that, we'll deal with the consequences. So they go in there to speak, and in this season of obedience, verse 21 It says, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told. By who? By God. All right, what did the religious establishment that ruled the temple, the temple, what did he say? He said, do not speak anymore in that name, Acts 4, verse 21, with threats. Okay, so they have two directives. The law of the land is, don't speak in the name of Jesus. The law of God, through a miraculous deliverance, is what? Go into the temple and tell the whole story of this new life. And those guys are like this. They're like, okay, that's a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer for them because their lives were so oriented towards obedience to God. Their imprisonment was meant to humiliate and silence them. And the question that rises is this. Will that pressure work to silence them? Okay, does the pressure that you experience cause you to go silent? Or... For many of us, what is it? It's the pressure that we anticipate. Because we're never really, really willing to stick our toe in the water and see what it's really like. These men are in an extraordinary season of obedience, experiencing amazing blessings, but adversity comes from two places. And this is the way it always happens. Adversity arises from within. Story of Ananias and Sapphira, verse 3. Satan has filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Adversity from without. What's happening? They're in the temple precinct doing what God told them to do in the house of God. And what happens? They're told to stop. They don't stop. They're put into prison. Freedom taken away, humiliated, suspected. That's what happens. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. It says, Don't you know that your adversary the devil goes about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Okay, so you say, all right, God, 
I'm going to start to obey you in this work of sharing my love and faith for Christ. I'm going to start sharing it. Assumption, God's going to bless me with power and great results because I'm walking in obedience. Reality, I live in a fallen world where people from within and from without will oppose the work of God. And I believe this. I believe Satan, if you go active, you start to experience the blessing of God. I believe as we as a church family become more deeply committed to Jesus' talk, that there will be enormous blessings for that obedience. But I believe this, that Satan will begin to oppose what God is doing in your life. Okay? And you need to be prepared for that opposition. It will come as a result of obedience. It will come in this context as a result of jealousy. Hopefully it's not coming as a result of our arrogance. Okay? There are ways to share the truth of Christ and there are ways that you should not share the truth of Christ. You should not share it as if it's proper and right because you believe it. But it's true because it's what God says. And so we share it with a, with a degree of boldness and a degree of confidence that it in fact communicates the love and grace of God to a world around us that so desperately needs to hear it. And the one thing that I would say to you in, in, this, in this idea of, of committing to sharing it, knowing that adversity is coming, simple principle, okay? Delayed obedience in this area will become difficult obedience in the future. Okay, the longer you wait to speak the word of Christ to people that you know, the more likely it is that you never will. Okay, why? Because the longer you're quiet about that, okay, the more unbelievable you become and you know it. It'd be like somebody having the joy of a new child being born into their home and saying, don't tell anybody. Okay, here's the tension, okay? The tension is that when you finally, two or three months down the road, decide to call that friend that you didn't tell, what are you afraid of now? You're afraid of their reaction. Why didn't you call me sooner? Okay. Delayed obedience in relationship to the gospel, I promise you this, becomes difficult obedience. All right, sooner than later. You should introduce talk of Jesus Christ into your life and into your relationships. Okay, knowing what? Knowing that a lot of times people re respond negatively to this truth. We don't want that. We want approval. We want applause. We want acceptance. We want respect. Speaking of Jesus, folks, is not a way to gain respect. It's a way to change people's lives. By speaking into them the truth that can set them free. second thought that emerges is this and this is an encouragement okay how does god prompt us how does he encourage obedience to his direction i think he gives us this encouragement to be courageous and here i think is the encouragement i'll just put it in one simple statement god actively supports those who walk in obedience okay god actively supports those who walk in obedience just like any good parent in this room Okay, if you see your child trying hard and working hard to accomplish goals and objective in their life, they get old enough to start to drive and they go out and they get a job and they work and, and you know, they're doing everything they possibly can and they're just coming up a little bit short. You know what the average dad's going to say when they come and ask him for help? They're going to say, sure, I'll be glad to help you out. Okay, I mean, it's the same way it is with God. 
When we say, God, I am going to trust you with all my heart and not lean on my understanding in all my ways, I'm going to look to you and say, show me the way you want me to live. As we begin to walk in active obedience, the blessing, the assistance of God comes alongside and starts to make things that are impossible, possible. He starts to work in our lives, actively supporting those who walk in obedience. Let me just pick out from this text a couple indications of that. Verse 13, it says that the people were highly regarded. The believers, the apostles, those that were part of the early church, were highly regarded by those that were watching their lives. So God gave them favor. The other thing he does is he gives them timely encouragement. They're taken out of the temple precinct. They're put into prison. And verse 19 tells us God's response to obedient servants. Verse 19. During the night, the angel of the Lord came. He opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Okay, what is that? That's divine favor in the midst of adversity. Okay, what is God doing? He's showing up to make obedience possible and to encourage those that are walking in such a committed level of obedience. How does he do it? He sends an angel to open the door and tells them this. He says, now, go, stand, and tell. Now, if I was them, I'd be saying, hey, can we just talk for a second? That's what we were just doing? And that's how we ended up in here? So is there an alternative plan? Or is there a way that I can escape this adversity, get out from under this pressure that's coming down on me? I don't think that conversation happened because the Bible tells us, verse 21, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts. Now think of this. This is where their lives were threatened. This is where they they did the things that caused them to end up in jail in terms of speaking of the, the news of the good life of Christ. God gives to them an encouragement that is so fundamentally and amazingly timely. And they understand that that work of God, that move of God in their lives was for a purpose. What was the purpose of it? So that they would go and share the good news of a greater deliverance. They were delivered from prison. But they were to go and tell people that there is a new life, which is deliverance from eternal separation with God. And how does God do this? God does it through the work of angels. Hebrews 1.14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits? sent forth to minister, to serve, to meet the needs of those who are heirs of salvation. Folks, listen. Step out. Okay? And as you step out in obedience, you should expect not a rosy path, not a path that's free from trouble and heartache, but you should expect that in the midst of those circumstances, He will not abandon you. Okay? If I'm walking in disobedience, guess what? I don't expect the power and blessing of God to come on my life. But if I'm walking in obedience, I can expect this from God, that he will be enough for me in the midst of that season of difficulty. His deliverance came for a specific purpose, to demonstrate that he was actively supporting the things that they had done. And here's the thing, I think, as you look at this deliverance, if you were Peter and James, what would you be thinking? What would you be thinking? Angel comes, opens the door and says, go. Yeah, they bound you, but go. You would be stunned, astonished, amazed at the love of God. It would be to you a precious thought that in the midst of rejection from men, what did God do? God put his amen on their lives and their choices. And he came and he met them. Why? It's what they needed. 
And I believe that God will always give us the blessing of what we need in circumstances like this. The text that follows after what uh, Roger read to us is the story of the men that go to the jail at the request of the Pharisees to find the two men. When they get there, what do they find? They find the prison cell empty. They go back and tell the religious leadership, uh, the guys we put in jail, yeah, there's a problem. They're not there. And the religious leaders were what? They didn't fall on their faces and repent. What did they do? They were bewildered and perplexed. And then someone comes to them in the midst of that meeting and says, remember the men you put in prison for speaking the name of Christ? Well, yeah, they're in Solomon's colonnade, in the temple courts, and they're doing it again. Okay? They're doing it again. What's their response? Their response is, send people out there to get them. But don't disturb things. Why? Because God had given favor to them. Those that went to take them and bring them back in front of the Sanhedrin feared for their own lives. And so they, they kind of reordered their approach. Not unkind this time, but hey, would you guys mind coming, kind of baiting them? You know, get them to come and say, the Sanhedrin would really like to talk to you. And so they bring them back into the Sanhedrin. And it, 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 it's, it's a fascinating discussion. Their question in verse 27 is this. They bring them in. They made them appear before the Sanhedrin. Verse 28, they say this. We gave you strict orders, verse 21 of chapter 4, with threats not to teach in this name. Yet, okay, you have, what? Filled Jerusalem with his teaching. What's going on there? You have filled Jerusalem with his teaching. You know what's going on there? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. The Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to make you my witnesses where? Beginning in Jerusalem. What just happened? Phase one of the mission is what? It's done. The word of God has been shared and the religious establishment is saying, you guys have filled this city with this teaching. Okay, what a glorious and powerful obedience they're giving. And I just love the affirmation of that that rises in the middle of this text. But I love what happens next to show that, that in the midst of complicated circumstances, when we think things are going crazy, God's in control. He is a man there named Gamaliel. He is the most highly respected Pharisee of his age. You go back and read the historical accounts of Josephus, recording the, the incredible respect and the higher elevated name that was given to Gamaliel. Gamaliel is watching what's happening. It says in verse 33, after the disciples have said, we must obey God rather than man, of verse 29, verse 30, they begin to share the whole gospel of Christ. End of verse 31, it says that this message is being shared uh, of this Savior so that repentance and forgiveness of sins might be given to Israel. Okay, that, they're motivated to do what? To share the good news with those that are there. What's the response of the Pharisees? They, do they say, oh, we didn't know that's what you were doing. No, they knew exactly what they were doing. And in verse 33, it says, when they heard this, they were furious and wanted what? To put them to death. They had a blood thirst to kill these men. Why? Because they were that jealous 
of their position and were certainly captive not to the fear of God, but the fear of man. Okay? The religious establishment was captive, or the, the, the apostles were captivated by what? The fear of God. God said, go back to the colonnade. You know what happened there? Yeah, but let's go anyhow. I love it. I love it. Gamaliel says to them in verse 34, a teacher of the law, honored among the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin, ordered these guys out. Verse 35, he addressed them. He said, men, and, men of Israel, listen and consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. And then he gives them two illustrations of two religious leaders, or if you will, militant leaders. One's name is Thaddeus, and another's name is Judas. They both have a similar biography, if you will. Okay? They led a rebellion a sect, a group. They were killed, and when they were killed, what happened to their group? It was scattered. Two times it says it in the text. Okay? So they, they start something, the leaders killed, the group scatters. Gamaliel's pretty smart. Jesus started a movement. Jesus was killed. His leaders aren't scattering. Therefore, what? Go back up a few verses. What the disciples are saying about the resurrection may be true. And what does he appeal for them? He appeals to them, hands off. That's the idea of this in some translations. Hands off, don't touch them. Or you will, be find, you will find yourself to be fighting God. Folks, listen, God reached into the Sanhedrin and changed the heart of a man, gave him a new view of things. I'm not saying necessarily conversion, but God sovereignly altered his perspective so that he, the most respected man in their midst, would stand up and say, don't kill them. You might find yourself fighting against God. Now, what is that? That is the sovereign disposition of God to intervene in this particular circumstance. Not in all, but in this case, there is a precious intervention of God to do what? To encourage the hearts of these disciples who are walking in obedience. That's what God does. He comes to the aid of his children who walk in obedience. He does it through incredible and sovereign means. I think we can say it this way. Okay? How do the apostles feel about their circumstances? I'm going to tell you, I think they feel a bit surprised, but they're starting to get used to this is the ebb and flow of what's going on. What's our initial response to pressure when we go into obedience? You know what our response tends to be? We tend to be surprised. And we're going like, what's this? I'm obeying you in this? And we find it almost unbelievable and something that we struggle with. We need to remember that in these kinds of circumstances, God has never been surprised. He's never standing in heaven, wringing his hands, saying, you know what, I had my, my, my apostles are in jail, now what are we going to do next? Okay? Corey Tembum said it this way. She was in captivity in Nazi Germany as a Jewish woman, young girl, had a dear father who was a believer. Here's what she said. Out of all the experiences that she endured, the, the profound suffering that her and her family endured, wicked treatment at the hands of sinful men. Here's what she said. She said, there is no panic in heaven. God has no problems. Only plans. God has no problems. Only plans. So that should encourage us to say, what, you know what? God, I'm just going to step out and obey you. Can I predict how it's going to work out? How this person's going to respond? What they're going to think of me? No, I can't. What should I be concerned about? I must obey God rather than men. In this case, the men materialized and spoke to them. 
But for most of us, what is it? It's a presumption that here's how they're going to respond. Therefore, I'm going to be silent. It's the same thing. We tend to obey man rather than God in this area. And what happens? We tend to see little of the work of God in our personal lives in relationship to the salvation of the lost. Why? Because we're not telling them the truth of this new life. The whole truth of it. These men obviously were, and God was beginning to work. And I think Gamaliel's statement, you might find yourself fighting against God if you fail to support the apostles. I think the opposite is also true. Okay? I think the opposite is, if opposing is tantamount to fighting against God, then telling the message of Christ is tantamount to what? Tantamount to cooperating with God. See, Gamaliel gets it exactly right, doesn't he? If I live my life on my own as a believer and I don't share the good news of God's life through Jesus, what should I expect? No support. No help. Why? I'm not walking in obedience. But if I'm walking in obedience, what can I expect? What does this text show me? It shows me that God is intervening and working in powerful ways in the lives of his people. And I think it is a beautiful, beautiful picture. Yesterday, I started thinking back. I started thinking back to the work of God in the lives of people in our church family. And I thought I had the list with me, and I'm, I'm not seeing the list. But I think I can do some of this from, uh, from memory. I started thinking back about specific individuals in our church family who have come to Christ because somebody actually believed that God meant it when he said, go and share the whole message of this new life. Who, who, who took God at his word and said, okay, God, if that's what you want me to do, then that's what I will do in season and out of season in my life. I'll do it. I'll do it knowing adversity comes in relationship to sharing Christ. I'll do it. I'll do it because I know that you will intervene and, and, and sustain me and uphold me with your power. That's what the book of Acts is all about fundamentally. How the Spirit of God enables the disciples of Christ to finish the work of Christ that he started in Acts chapter 1 and verse 4. How the Spirit of God comes on them regularly to astonish, to amaze, to empower, and to see the church growing. So that verse 14 says, people were being added daily, daily. Why? Because these guys and gals actually believed that God wanted them to engage in Jesus' talk. And as they did, they started to see amazing and unbelievable things happen. In verse 40, it says, the speech of Gamaliel persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. That's an amazing statement. Flogged means to literally have skin torn from your back, but to be left alive. In some cases, people actually died from the punishment. So how did the disciples respond to that? Prison didn't shut them up. It didn't humiliate them enough. Flogging was the most deeply embarrassing thing that could happen to you in the ancient world. To have your back ripped open for failure to obey the powers that be. That's what happened to these guys. What's their response? I love this. It says the apostles left the Sanhedrin. After being told, do not talk in this name, they left the Sanhedrin 
rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Okay, that we suffer for Christ, that's a good day. And what do they do in response to the pressure? Day after day, and in the temple courts, and from house to house, they never stopped. Would, would you not like this to be the testimony of God's work in your life? He or she never stopped. They just wouldn't shut up about it. They just kept talking. And when you do, you'll face pressure, yes, but you will have the presence and power of God in your life. It's your call. Do you want to live in your own power or do you want to live in God's power? Some people say, you know what, I'm going to step forward and I'm going to watch God work. As I think through our church family, I think through these situations. I think through uh, the life of Pam Slack. Okay? Pam Slack grew up in this area, has a friend that came to Jesus. Her name is Diane Simony. Diane Simony thought that she should share Jesus with Pam Slack. Pam Slack comes to Christ. Dan Slack gets a job at Washington Township working for the Department of Public Works. His boss's name is Peter DeBoer. Peter DeBoer is a Christian, totally unashamed. Every man in his job knows he is a Christian because he has sought, shared the gospel with them in spite of the fact that he's their superior at work. Not afraid. Not afraid. A result, Dan Slack comes to Christ. Well, Dan and Pam Slack decide to talk to their neighbors, Angela and Corey Mose. A little bit down the road, what happens? Angela and Corey Mose come to Christ. Why? Because someone thought that God meant it when he said, share this good news, all of it. And Angela's at the doctor's office and talks to a guy named Sal and shares the good news. How did she do it? She said, hey, you should come to church with me. And he comes to Christ. Folks, can I ask you a question? Would you not want to live that kind of life? Would you want to be silenced by shame in regards to man and in shame before God for silence? Okay? Or would you rather speak the truth of God's word Experience the power of God in your life to use you as an instrument of seeing people come to faith in Christ. I can tell you this. For me, there is no, absolutely no greater joy. Last summer, Marie Kara and her mom, Debbie, were walking through the park during the yard sale week. Good yard sailors. You were running one. All right. They're running a yard sale, and Lisa Ash walks up. And they believe that they should tell her what Jesus told them to tell her. And Lisa Ash comes to faith in Christ. Last Sunday morning, Lisa Ash invites her husband to come to church. And during the service, Jim Ash trusts Christ. Okay. Now, folks, all I'm saying to you is, I, I, I like things, okay? I like little neat things. I like fixing things, making them look good. I like to walk down there and see it. But I can tell you this. None of those Material things have ever brought me to tears of joy. Never. Okay? If you knock my motorcycle over, I will not cry. I promise. Okay? I like my motorcycle. I like the way it looks. Okay? Try to keep it neat. But I can tell you this. I do not have joy when I ride on my motorcycle like that kind of joy. Here's the sad thing. Most of us don't taste that kind of joy. Why? Because the threats have come and we zipped our mouths shut. You know what God's saying to us? You know what God's saying? God is saying, open your mouth. 
do people where you work after how many years know that you're a Christian? And if they don't after many years, how awkward will it be tomorrow to go in and say, oh, by the way, right? Because the longer you wait to obey God, the more obedience never becomes easier for waiting. Okay? These guys are delivered from jail. It says, what, in verse 21, at daybreak, when the sun's come up, John, when the sun comes up, John, we're going. Yeah, but, 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 yeah, but we're going. It is a beautiful picture to see what God does when you actually believe that he means what he says, that he wants us to do the things that he's called us to do. And when you step out like that, you will begin to experience the great adventure that is called the Christian life. And I would love it. Okay, and let me tell you one other thing. I'm in Christ because a man named Frank Robinson who sold groceries door-to-door in my town, a poor man. He had a panel van, I remember it to this day, aluminum truck with a freezer inside. And we would go out and beg ice cream from him, me and my three siblings. Okay? Guess what Frank knew? Frank knew about food, but he also knew Christ. And guess what he did? He thought that he should actually share what he thought about Christ. Talk to my mom, invite her out to church. And one day my parents said, you know what? This guy's starting to annoy us. So let's go to church and he'll stop. And they trusted Christ. And then their kids trusted Christ. Folks, when you die and get to heaven, what do you want? Maria, I was challenged by that quote by, by Carmichael. What do you want when you get there? What's going to make you happy there? I I have a feeling there won't be any Honda motorcycles in heaven. Just suspect that. Unless God gets it right and they're there. Okay. (laughs) With hilly, curvy roads and beautiful vistas when you go over the hill and you look. I kind of suspect that that's not what it's going to be. It's going to be a meeting of all these people who God touched who believed that they should actually share the goodness of Christ. And my goal this morning is not to make you feel guilty because I don't think guilt will change you. My goal is to encourage you to go to God and say, God, I want that kind of life. I want to be able to say my life is not committed to the obedience of the fear of man and silence. My life is committed to a bold and courageous proclamation of the full story of this new life. That when it is proclaimed, and I, I just, no, I won't open back there. At the end of it, it talks about Jesus granting repentance and forgiveness so that he is sovereign in this process. So we go and we share the good news. I do not have the burden of changing someone's heart. That's the work of God. What do we do? We proclaim Jesus died for our sin. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. And if you turn to him, you can find a gift of life. The whole story of this new life, this change. God changes your life so that you can change someone else's life. And he sends you and he says, now go into all the world and speak the whole truth of what God has done for you. So folks, who is it? Who is it that's on your mind right now that you have to do, go do hard obedience with? 
big as it's been to walk. Who is it? Who is it that God is speaking to you about right now, saying, you know what? Yeah, tomorrow. Tomorrow. Begin the process. I'm not saying the whole thing happens. But step out and begin the process. Join the adventure. Watch what God is doing and join Him. Pray for courage. Pray for boldness. Pray that you would sense Him coming alongside and saying, yes, tell them that Jesus loves them. Tell them that He died to pay the price for their sin. And if they turn to them, to Him, they'll experience the gift of repentance and forgiveness, clean, forgiven, hope of heaven, brother, sister in Christ. Okay, that's what He wants to do. And I hope you like your job and I hope you like your things. I hope you love the gospel. I hope God convicts you and, and encourages you to say, you can do this. You can do this. It's part of... They said, we must obey God rather than men, which meant for the disciples, sharing the truth about Christ was a matter of what? Obedience. Like, don't lie, don't steal, give generously, share your faith. Like that. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Children, share your faith in Christ. Like that. Like that. God, help us 